0: Guess this is the week of the summer. Everyone's not on vacation. <laughs> it's good to pack the house out. Good just to hear people worshiping the Lord. I love that when Josh just backed off the mic and it, we just heard everyone belting it out. Great is the Lord. He is great today, and He is good. And I'm excited to to jump into numbers with you again today. So before we get there, I want to share a quote from uh, early 20th century social activist. Emma Goldman, she called Christianity, quote, the leveler of the human race, the breaker of man's will to dare and to do, an iron net, a straitjacket which does not let him expand or grow. She was saying essentially that God is a cosmic killjoy who just puts people in straitjackets with their rules. This is not just a super popular belief today in our culture. I think if we're all honest, it's a popular belief in our hearts more than we care to admit. We we see the devastating effects of doing things our way, of, of living in sin all around us, doing things our way and not God's way. We see families torn apart, people hurt, people bitter, people lonely, dissatisfied yet our sin nature keeps us curious is God holding out on me I know God said to do it this way but but I want it I want it that way way, way. tell me why (laughs) I had to I had to okay we're we're in numbers we're going to have a little fun with it, add a little spice if you're not a backstreet fan, don't worry. the title next week is an in sync song, so we'll cover the whole basis all right, so the title of this message is uh, I want it that way, and i think it's I think it's actually really fitting so if if you have a Bible or you have a Bible app, open up to numbers we're we're starting in chapter fourteen verse thirty nine and we're going to go to the end of chapter fifteen today numbers fourteen thirty nine while you're going there, though, you're, we're going to see the people over and over in this scripture today going, no, I want to do it my way, okay? I want it that way, and God's going to go, no, time and time again, that way, doing it your way actually leads to death, quite literally in this section, and destruction, and time and time again, God's going to remind them, hey, walking in my ways is actually what leads to life, and to peace, and to joy. So that's what we're going to see. Um, if you haven't been with us for the number series yet, I'll just try to catch you up real fast. So if you if you jump way back to Genesis in Genesis 12, God makes a promise to Abraham, Hey, I'm going to make a great nation of you and your descendants, and give you this promised land. And we see that that even people, it, He was pointing towards the Messiah. People are going to um, be saved one day through you. That's that's the the blessing. So this this family line, this this special people, God's people, are 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 gonna bring in the Savior one day, Jesus. But before we get there, here we are in numbers. And he's brought them out of Egypt. They were in slavery. He frees them from slavery through the leadership of Moses and Aaron, parts of the Red Sea. And now here they are out in the wilderness and they're about to go into this land that God promised them, that's flowing with milk and honey, that's abundant, that's great. And God sends in 12 spies. And we saw last week in Numbers 13 and 14, he sends these spies into the promised land. Ten of them come back and essentially say, God, we don't trust you. We don't believe you. Um, This land, yeah, it's great, but the people are really huge. They're they're like giants and and the the cities are really strong. We can't do this. But two of them, Caleb and Joshua, they believe God uh, even when no one else does. So God spares Caleb and Joshua for their true belief and trust in him, but he lets the rest of them wander and die in the wilderness for their unbelief. It's, it's kind of like if you look at Romans 1, I've pointed this out a few times now, but we see that God just gives them over, or gives them up to their own devices, and, and that's what he's doing. And ironically, we saw last week in 14.2, Numbers 14.2, they said, would that we have died in the wilderness." God, why did you lead us to this land? We would have rather died here in this wilderness or back in Egypt. And God's like, okay, that's what you want. So we're going to see in the rest of this book, this generation is going to die. And ironically, it's what they asked for. But I want to remind you of a, a quote I shared a couple weeks ago from the Bible Project. They said, while God remains faithful to his people and his promises, he will honor their choices and let them waste their whole lives if they choose to live in rebellion. See, they're, they're choosing to live in this rebellious, complaining, grumbling, untrusting way of God. And we're going to see in the rest of Numbers, this whole generation, their consequence for their unbelief is going to be that they're going to die off. But I don't want you to forget, as we see this, that, that they chose that. Now, he, he God is gracious, though. He promises, though. He doesn't just... He doesn't just have them all die in the wilderness. The the next generation, their kids are going to be able to enter the promised land. So there is hope. But that's where the story leads us to today. And so now God just said, here's your consequence. You're, You're not going to possess the land. Your children will. And so 1439, when Moses told these words to all the people of Israel, the consequence, you're going to wander in the wilderness and die. The people mourned greatly. Verse 40, and they rose early in the morning and went up to the heights of the hill country, saying, Here we are, we will go up to the place that the Lord has promised, for we have sinned. But Moses said, Why are you transgressing the command of the Lord? When that will not succeed, do not go up, for the Lord is not among you, lest you be struck down before your enemies. For there the Amalekites and the Canaanites are facing you, and you shall fall by the sword, because you have turned back. From following the Lord, the Lord will not be with you. But they presumed to go up to the heights of the hill country, although neither the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed out of the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in that hill country came down and defeated them and pursued them, even to Hormah. So here they're saying to God, I want it that way. I want to do things my way. And Not to be outdone by the boy bands, you two jumps in, you know, we're going to do it my way with or without you, right? So uh, here they are, but they're they're literally saying that, God, we don't care if you're with us as we go into this land. Whether you're with us or not, we want this. And so they go into the promised land on their own terms without God. In verse 44, it says the, the ark of the covenant of the Lord wasn't with them. The Ark of the Covenant was a physical representation of God's presence with them. And they're like, we don't need you, God. We just want your blessings. We just want the land. They're in direct defiance of God. Moses just said they will be struck down if they go into the land. It's not going to work. Moses was conveying God's message to the people. Hey, you're defying God. Don't do it. But they do it anyway. They go in and, and the result is that they fail miserably, just like God said. This is a classic example of what, I would, of what I would term confession of sin without true repentance. Confession of sin without true repentance. Verse 40, they say, oh, we have sinned. See, whenever you're just confessing sin, but you don't really want to repent of it and turn away from it, you, you're vague with it. Oh, I sinned some way. It doesn't really matter how I, I, I screwed up. Okay, yeah, yeah, I screwed up. They ignore and refuse the consequences of their sin. They just got told, hey, you're going to wander around the desert and die. And they're trying to ignore that and refuse that. And they try to take God's blessing of the land on their own terms. They acknowledge their sin, not because they offended a holy God. They acknowledge it because they're caught and they don't want to face the consequences. You know, way too many times with my wife... I say something stupid. I know, hard to imagine here. But uh, I say something stupid to Heather or hurtful or insensitive. And I realize it. Either she tells me or, or I just I actually come to my senses and realize it. Um, and I say, I'm sorry. But often I say it just so we can move on. Just brush it under the rug like it never happened. And she's so gracious. She always forgives me. But it's not all smiles and laughs immediately right after that. And it shouldn't be. See, that's, that's the consequence of my sin. See, Heather needs time to process and, and, and to move on like, like most of us when we're hurt. I usually just want to kind of pretend nothing ever happened. Let's just move on. And that's me to selfishly want to confess without actually feeling the hurt that she felt and, and repenting of this. True repentance, though, is always willing to face the consequences. Mere confession will have no part in the consequences. See, the Israelites didn't care if God was with them or not here. I mean, that's that's how deep-seated their unbelief in God's presence and God's power was. He was. He, they just wanted the benefits from God with or without Him. It reminds me of a haunting quote by A.W. Tozer. He said, If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today... of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. God help us from ever reaching that point as a church, as a people. We need to be so dependent on him and his presence that the blessings and benefits we get from him would just be secondary. He is here with us. He is among us. We need him we can't do this church thing without him and this is a challenge for us individually as well we need to care more about jesus himself and his presence with us than the blessings and benefits that we get from him so the next section how does god respond he responds graciously but he responds firmly and goes no i want it i want it my way i want it this way so chapter 15 Verses 1 to 31, God is giving them, uh, wh- he's guiding them with his ways and his laws when they get into this promised land. He's looking ahead after all their stubborn rebellion. He still is patiently guiding them and he even talks to them. 15.1, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land, you are to inhabit it, which I'm giving you. And he goes on and gives, gives some laws there. But he still speaks to them after all of their unbelief and their grumbling. It's like he's going, okay, that happened. There's consequences, yes. But now, let's get on with my plan. He's unwavering in his promise to them. God's rules, his laws, are undeserved, tender acts of grace and kindness. You might be like, rules? Laws are kind? Kind? No, they're, they're oppressive, they're cruel, they're a straitjacket. But rules and laws were here, God gives them here to help them live a life of peace and joy with him when they get to this promised land. See, if God wanted to be oppressive and cruel, he would actually give them no guidance. He would give them no laws. Right, parents? Terrible parents don't give their, their children any rules or laws because they're just being lazy parents, if they're honest. He's giving them these because he's like, I created everything. Everything that you see, I created you. I created how this whole universe works. You, you would think I would know how it's going to work best. So if you really want to experience me and experience joy and life the way it's meant to, here's the way to go. And he gives them these laws. It's a, it's a gracious act of him. God, God's commands today are also meant for our true freedom and our true joy. God's ways aren't a cosmic killjoy. They're actually gracious help to us. Think about it. He created everything, everyone. He knows how it works best. So that's, that's kind of a summary. You can go back and, and look at some of those laws just to explain a little bit about them. Um, the laws themselves actually assume that this promised land is going to be abundant. It's going to be amazing. He adds to their animal sacrifices that he required of them. In earlier laws, he adds, now you have to bring a little bit of oil, a little bit of flour, a little bit of wine. Well, they don't have those things right now. They're out in the desert. So he's saying, it's going to be fantastic. He's looking forward with hope and with help to them. It's going to be plentiful. It's not if, but when. Now, as we turn the corner to this next section Fifteen thirty-two to 36, we're going to see this story that's a little unnerving. So I want to give you um, kind of, an, kind of a, uh, an example to try to help us grapple with this. So imagine for a second that you're a dictator of a country and you make the laws and you're also the judge and the jury. Okay, you're the dictator. You, you can do what you want. So you make a law that nobody can eat breakfast on Sundays. Okay, now for some of you, are like, that's fine. All I do is drink coffee for breakfast. Well, you can't drink coffee then, okay? We'll go, we'll go there. So, um, you can't eat breakfast on Sundays, but your purpose, and you share this with everyone. You share it with everyone. Hey, the reason I'm doing this is so that you can prepare your hearts and your minds to worship God at church on Sunday. So, you'll be spiritually hungry when you come to church, I, which is actually a great purpose. It might even be a great practice for you, um, But besides the point, imagine you're the dictator. You make this law and you say, oh, by the way, if you do eat breakfast on Sunday mornings, you're going to be put to death. Now, everybody knows this law. It's been been written multiple times in law books. It's been posted on Facebook and Instagram. It's it's everywhere. People know this, okay? They know they're not supposed to do it and they understand the reason why. Then inevitably, one morning, a guy is seen sneaking a bite of granola bar. (gasps) On Sunday morning. Would it be right. Just and good of you. Not to have this guy killed. No. It would not. Your words don't mean anything. If you don't follow through there. And you can't be trusted. See often we see in the Bible. When God punishes people with the death penalty. We think that he's a tyrant. When in all actuality. He's being a good Just and trustworthy God. He's simply following through on the punishment he said would happen if you disobey his good ways. He's God. He knows what's best for his people. He created them. See, God is good and he is just simultaneously. Those things are never in conflict with each other. The best leaders are fair and consistent. And God is the best leader of all. So, let's look at this story. 1532. While the people of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. And those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. They put him in custody because it had not been made clear what should be done to him. And the Lord said to Moses, the man shall be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with the stones outside the camp. And all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death with stones as the Lord commanded Moses. Intense story, right now there's there's some question here it 's like well why didn 't they know what the punishment should have been? They actually did know that the punishment should have been death. They were just trying to figure out how are we supposed to kill this this guy that 's what they were clarifying because if if you look, this guy would have known that he wasn 't supposed to be doing work on the Sabbath. It was a clear violation of god 's wa- laws and ways so when they were they just got out of Egypt they the Red Sea was parted for them. They went to Mount Sinai, where they got the law, the Ten Commandments, and, and, and other laws from the Lord. They would have known this. And so, if you look back at, at Exodus thirty-one fifteen, it says, Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. So, God's saying, hey, here is a good rule. Take a day and set it apart to rest and to worship me. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. And then, a couple chapters later, Exodus 35, 2, same thing. Six days' work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You look at this story, and you see this guy picking up sticks. And you're like, is it really that big a deal? It was. This was no small sin. This guy was not innocently unaware of what he was doing. It was a high-handed sin. He knew what he was doing. Don't got, get caught up in the thinking, oh, I was just picking up some sticks. He clearly had a heart of intentional disregard for God in his ways. Think of it less like a child taking a, a, a family heirloom, maybe a piece of, of the fine china that you have in your cabinet that's been in this, the family for centuries, and they, they accidentally drop a plate and it breaks. Okay, Maybe they weren't supposed to have the plate to begin with out of, out of the chest, but here they are, they break it, it was an accident. It's not like that, that's not what's happening here. It's more like telling your teenager, hey, you can't drive the car tonight. And they go, oh yeah, watch me, go outside, start it up, and peel away from the driveway. It's more like that. That's what's happening here. And God says no. God justly has him put to death for not doing it his way. Romans 6.23. This isn't just an Old Testament thing. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is what? Death. At first glance, this seems extreme. It seems harsh. But here's why I think we feel that it's, it's extreme and harsh. I think we do because we, we, we don't see sin as that big of a deal to us. We don't want to deal with the fact that the hurtful thing that we said to that person on purpose the other day should produce death for us. If it wasn't for Jesus' blood, every sin I commit earns me death too and you as well so for us today where has sin crept in and convinced you that hey it's just it's just a little sin it's not that big a deal that quick jab at my spouse eh ah, whatever no big deal embellishing a story just just a little bit to make me look a little better it's fine Lashing out at my kids for interrupting me while I'm texting. How dare you interrupt me? I'm texting. Just one little work project on the day that you know you've set aside with the Lord. You've agreed with you and the Lord. I'm going to set this day aside to, to worship and to rest. Ah, just one little work project though. A quick peek at a provocative news link. Ah, I'd never hurt anyone. Just five more minutes of of stewing in my mind on that jerk who disrespected me. No big deal. See, every single quick, little, no big deal sin is deserving of death. Jesus died for that sin. So how does God respond? He responds rather graciously. Let's keep reading. 1537, the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations, and to put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner. And it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord, to do them, not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes, which you are inclined to whore after. So you shall remember and do all my commandments and be holy to your God. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord, your God. See, church, personally, I've I've been blown away at how gracious God is in numbers and in the Old Testament. He definitely justly punished it punishes as we just saw but now he's guiding them he's giving them tangible practical help hey you guys have a hard time remembering my commands here put some tassels to remind you i mean he's giving them super super practical application to help them live in the way of life the very people who just grumbled who complained who rebelled who distrusted him over and over and over here he is helping them the more I really dig into the Old Testament, the more I realize how crazy, slow to anger God actually is. He truly is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. His nature truly has not changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament to today. Notice in the last couple of verses here, 40 and 41, your God is said three times. It's, it almost gets annoying. It's, it's so redundant. Your God, your God, your God. But here's what God is doing He's giving them a tangible way with these tassels to remind them that God is their God. I am your God. Yeah, you didn't trust me. You didn't want to go into this land. Yeah, you've complained. Yeah, you've rebelled. You've complained again, and then you've rebelled some more. But hey, I am still your God. God graciously reminds Israel of two realities by having them put these tassels on their garments. One, he's telling them and reminding them, hey, following my way leads to life, joy, and peace. Just just look at Caleb and Joshua and the reward they're going to get of the promised land. It leads to life, joy, and peace. And secondly, he's reminding them with these tassels that Following your way leads to death, despair, and destruction. Look around. You're wandering in the desert. People are dying because of of people going their own way. So he's giving them this tangible reminder. My way is the best. Your way is not. Today, God gives us a gracious reminder as well. And it's right there. It's a cross following your way actually led to Jesus's death on the cross we need to let the cross remind us that that when we're doing things our way it leads to death it led to the death of Christ and and we need to let the cross remind us that doing things our own way actually destroys us in many ways as well how much suffering how much heartache do we endure in life simply because we chose our own destructive ways over gods c.s lewis had had an illustration of walking his dog he said suppose you're taking a dog on on a walk through a turnstile or past a post you know what happens well apart from his usual ceremonies and passing a post I think that's what he's referring to. Um, He tries to go the wrong side of the post and gets his head looped around the post, and you see that he can't do it, and therefore pull him back. You pull him back because you want to enable him to go forward. He wants exactly the same thing, namely to go forward. For that very reason, he resists your pull back, or if he's an obedient dog, yields to it reluctantly as a matter of duty, which seems to him to be quite in opposition to his own will, though in fact it is only by yielding to you that he will ever succeed in getting where he wants to go. And this is us. This is you. This is me. We want to just do things our own way. And how much suffering and pain, how many times do we just have our heads caught around the post because we're like, no God, I'm not doing it that way. I'm going this way. And, and he's like, Okay. It's not going to be good. Not that long ago, um, we went to a beach, one of the great Iowa beaches. We're known for that, I think. Um, But no, at a lake, we like to go to Big Creek on Saturdays or or, uh, Don Williams. And if it's a hot Saturday, you'll find our family uh, having a good time out at the beach. And uh, we'll get the grill out and... Grill something up, kids are splashing around, and build a couple sandcastles, and uh, have a water fight. You know, we, we, just, love, we just love doing that. So um, we're, we're having one of those a few weekends ago. And to be honest with you, I, I, I don't even want to admit this, but I, I woke up that day for some reason and was pretty grumpy. I don't, I don't know why, probably just because I'm sinful by nature. I don't know. I'm just in a bad mood, and I let that show, and I let that affect that whole day. And you know what it did? It killed my enjoyment of that day. It killed my enjoyment of God's creation and of my family, and it, it kept my wife and my kids from enjoying that day as much as well. And it upended my witness to those with me and around me. See, I was the dog. With my head wrapped around the pole. But the cross is God's tangible example. As you see crosses in our society. You see them all over the place. You you see cross necklaces, tattoos. Um, you, You see crosses in a lot of places. Let it remind you that doing things your way leads to death. But also let the cross remind you that following God's way leads to life. See, here's the thing about this cross right here. It's God's gracious reminder that doing things His way leads to life. Do you know why? Because that cross has nobody on it right now. That tomb is empty. Do you know why? Jesus is not dead. He is alive. And so He wants us to walk in that newness of life. He wants us to experience that resurrection life that He paid for with His life. See, following His good commands is is following after Jesus' heart who, who emptied Himself to the point of death, humbled Himself to the point of death on a cross so that He could have new life. So He would be resurrected in order that we, if we repent and believe in Him, could experience that life as well. Let the cross remind you that when Jesus did things God's way, it brought life for him and all who would repent and believe. The cross is God's gracious reminder, one, that doing things your way leads to death. It's definitely a symbol of death, destruction, despair. But it also, when you see the cross, let it remind you that doing things God's way actually leads to life, to resurrection life, joy, and peace. So let me share with you from Romans 6. 21 to 23 to end. It's so fitting. Romans 6, 21. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed from doing things your way? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But... The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Father